Week 15, DFS MVP, Holden Kushner and 444's director DFS, TJ Hernandez, hanging out with you here on uh, 444's big podcast. We still got a few weeks left, too. We'll get into that in a moment and all our week 15 plays on DraftKings, FanDuel, a great game theory segment as well. But we got a little Wayne, a little, little Wayne here, Mr. Fanboy. <laughs> from uh from probably his his uh, most popular album the carter three from 2008 uh, everybody probably knows this bring in a milli from that track if you enjoy that track as well as all of the other intros to the dfs mvp podcast you can find all of those intro songs on the dfs mvp spotify playlist just go to spotify search dfs mvp or you can check out my Twitter at TJ Hernandez. I'm always tweeting out the link to the playlist along with the podcast. Before we get into everything today, if you're a sports better and you want to be a winning NFL better, check out weekly selections from NFL Sharp James Salinas, the most successful super contest winner of all time. Visit sharpanglesports.com and start winning today. Why is Amelia a sad song? I mean, I think it's a great song. I was just hoping that we would have it as a uh, celebration for uh, a millionaire winner, but oh, uh, I couldn't hold out for the rest is. of the year. But okay. maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be a precursor to the week fifteen millionaire winner. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll take that next week. All right, let's do this, baby. We got um, first of all fifteen week fifteen plays unique lineup builds as our game theory segment. Sign up now with the code DFSMVP. You'll still get 25% off the DFS subscription only. You got 15, 16, 17, then wildcard divisional conference championship. And uh, we also got a rate and review t-shirt giveaway that's back, right? Leave a five-star review. You're automatically entered to win. Yeah. Uh, this week, we got a nice five-star review from Seanster10. Uh, so Seanster10, hit me up on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. I'll get you hooked up with the details on uh, how to get your free four for four swag. Uh, if you want to get entered into the contest to win some free four for four swag for the last time this year, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a five star rating and review. Uh, so next week will be the last week we give away a t shirt for the season. Uh, the week after that is Christmas, so things are kind of hectic. And then we got New Year's after that. Uh, so I know, I know a lot of listeners will be following off. Hopefully not too many of you guys, but, uh, the schedule gets kind of crazy after next week. So, um, at the end we can go over exactly what will be coming up in the coming weeks, but, uh, all to be said last week, last week for the contest. So make sure you get your five-star review in. Love me some playoff DFS. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but let's concentrate here. We're going to start with our core plays at quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Here's the last four weeks for the Titans offense. They scored 35 points, 42 points, 31 points, 42 points. So they'll probably go for about 33 this week. Ryan Tannehill, man, finally realizing his potential. 7,600 Fandle, 6,500 DK taking on the Houston Texans, TJ. Yeah, this is who we uh, we started with last week, and we're going right back to the well. He's still... Um, priced relatively down, not not all the way at the top, and we don't have Lamar on the main slate, so it makes it kind of an easier decision. Speaking of Lamar, he's the only quarterback with more fantasy points per game since Ryan Hill took over as the starter in Week 7. You mentioned uh, that Tennessee's been scoring in bunches. Well, this game looks like the most likely shootout of the week. We have uh, a 50-point over-under. It's the only game with an over-under at or above 50. The spread is just three in favor of Tennessee, so that gives them an implied point total just under 27. All really good things for your quarterback. And then uh, there should just be fantasy goodness all around. Both defenses here rank in the bottom 10 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to every single skill position. That includes a 31st ranking for Houston against quarterbacks. Only three other teams allowing a higher touchdown rate uh, to 
opposing quarterbacks through the air than the Texans. And after last week, Tannehill actually jumped Lamar Jackson in terms of fantasy points per pass attempt if we exclude rushing. So he's been the most efficient fantasy passer since taking over uh, this year. And this is a game that just it sets up to shoot out. And the the Titans, they haven't need a t- needed a ton of volume just because they're moving the ball efficiently and scoring efficiently. And that's going to uh, lead to great value at a de- somewhat depressed salary. That's why we have Tannehill as our top projected value on FanDuel, as a top four value on DraftKings at his position. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate the Texans lost J.J. Watt and then they traded Jadavian Clowney. Because their yeah. offense is just a disaster. Yeah, and they or traded the defense, for I I, say. and they traded for Gary on Connolly, who is oh. arguably the worst corner in the league. Oh, that is wonderful. Can't get Good. over that one. Get yourself a little Ryan Tannehill this week. And if you uh <laughs> don't get Ryan Tannehill, the I think the pivot price wise on DraftKings would be Kyler Murray because he's nine hundred dollars left on less on DraftKings at fifty six hundred. Uh excuse me for speaking like I had like four popsicles. And when it's cold, I don't speak well. And right now it's inside of my mouth still, the cold. Anyways, uh, we'll Kyler Murray, 7,600 Fandle, 5,600 DraftKings against Cleveland. What were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that Kyler is the guy. Um, oh, I thought you were going to talk about DK. popsicles. No, we'll we'll save that for the theory segment. <laughs> <laughs> Kyler Murray going up against Cleveland. TJ. Uh, he's he's a, a perfect pivot off of Ryan Tannehill on Fandle. I, I don't think many people – will or should pivot to him in cash games. It'll make him a nice low on play um, in GPPs, or at least relatively low on play in GPPs. On DraftKings, he's just underpriced uh, down at 5,600. He is coming off of a couple bad games, Murray is, but uh, this game looks like it should set up to be relatively high scoring and should set up really nicely for Murray from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I, I mentioned there's only one game with a 50-point over-under, so this game with a 48-point over-under is relatively high this week. The spread is just two in favor of Cleveland, but uh, that's a pretty small spread, so we can see uh, both teams put up a, a decent number here. I mentioned this being a bounce-back spot for Kyler. If we adjust for strength of schedule, the Browns rank in the bottom 10 and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Uh, but the most noteworthy thing of that is the three biggest games that they've allowed have come against mobile passers. Russell mm-hmm. Wilson, 28.9 against the Browns. Lamar Jackson, 26.5. Josh Allen, 25.4. Obviously, Murray uh, is at least as mobile as uh, Russ and Josh Allen. Obviously, nobody's really in the realm of Lamar. But the point is, uh, a quarterback that just can't sit back there um, that's going to sit back there and can't can't scramble has struggled against the Browns, but they have struggled against the scrambling quarterbacks. Kyler averaging 34 rushing yards per game. So he gives you a nice floor, um, but because the uh, the Browns are free adjust for strength of schedule have given up a ceiling, I think Kyler is viable in all formats, especially on DK where he's priced really far down. Now, that's, that's fascinating. Good point there going up against Cleveland is the mobile running backs. Mm-hmm. So Tannehill and Murray are the two guys – uh, that you're pointing out here. Let's move on to running back. And I think it's just really simple uh, this week at running back for the chalk. I mean, listen, Derrick Henry's a stud. You can mm-hmm. go there. You can go Christian McCaffrey. But just take the value with Chris Carson. 7,400 FanDuel, even better on FanDuel. 7,500 DraftKings. They're taking on the Panthers. Um, actually, you can go with both running backs in this game. You You talked about that last week, by the way, with Gordon and Fournette. And Gordon obviously had a great day. But... Uh, Chris Carson is going to be a bell cow once again. He was getting good volume with Penny in there, but there's no Penny. And this should be, I think he's going to be the highest owned running back this week, at least on FanDuel. Uh, he, he should definitely be up there. We don't really have a, a pay down spot at running back on either side. Um, you could make the case for like uh, Patrick Laird on either side or Mostert on, on DK, but I'm not going to be super comfortable with either of those. They're, they're not obvious pay downs. So probably what we're going to see is people rolling out either a somewhat balanced running back lineup or um, just paying down to all the other positions and just jamming in like Carson and McCaffrey with some other third running back. But Carson, the most important thing here, like you mentioned, is the Rashad Penny injury. That means Carson's going to be back to the full workload that we saw um, earlier in the season. Over the past month, Penny and Carson have combined for 29 touches per game. Seattle still the second highest uh, rush rate in neutral game script. 
and that should translate to uh, even more run-heavy game script because Seattle is favored by six, and then they have scoring upside with an implied point total over 27. Uh, the matchup only helps out Carson Carolina, uh, one of the most obvious run funnels in the league. They rank in the top 10 in schedule-adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks, but they rank bottom two against running backs. They've been especially bad in recent weeks over the last five weeks allowing 163 total yards per game and two touchdowns per game so lots of upside and a huge floor here for chris carson my goodness uh chris carson just standing out on the other side we talk about i, I mentioned fournette for just a second there he's back i mean mm-hmm. i like him more on DraftKings. he's a big yeah. part of the passing game 7700 on FanDuel for me um not so sure about, but I did have them in my dummy lineup. And then 7,600 on DraftKings is where you're going. And these are just two bad defensive teams. I get it if you want to play Narrative Street, the Coliseum, the Raiders leaving after this game. I mean, I, I don't care about that stuff. Fournette, if he's ever going to score a touchdown, again, maybe even two, this could be the week. Yeah, I mean, I I tried to ignore the uh the last game of the coliseum thing as well but i mean it, it is going to be rowdy at that place and i was actually a little surprised by this line raiders uh favored by six and a half i know jacksonville has not been playing well but oakland has not been playing well either as bad as their defense is uh you wouldn't be surprised to see any team hang a big number on them at this point we saw them get um ran through by by tennessee last week although tennessee is obviously a much better offense right now than jacksonville but Getting to the point about Fournette um, compared to some of the other running backs, why he stands out as a value. I, I think we have Chris Carson and Fournette kind of in their own tier. Christian McCaffrey is obviously in a tier above everybody else. And then the other guys that you're going to consider as strong floor cash players are Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. Now, we mentioned uh, Fournette's salary, 7700 on FanDuel and 7600 on DraftKings. Let's look at the, the guys that are closest to him outside of Chris Carson, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. Dalvin Cook, you're going all the way up to 8,500 on FanDuel. Henry, you're going all the way up to 9,400 on draft on, on FanDuel. I think probably most people are just going to go up to McCaffrey if they're going to spend at least 9,400 on a running back. So I don't, you're not going to be able to fit both of them into the same lineup there. And then kind of the same thing on DraftKings. You've got Dalvin priced all the way up at 89 on DK and Henry priced all the way up at 85. So uh, yes, they, they have shown a lot more upside than Fournette because of the scoring, but Fournette has um, as much of a touch floor as any running back in the league. We know he's been getting heavy usage in the passing game because, uh, because they've been trailing, but he's just been kind of consistently used in the passing game throughout the season. And he basically has a 20-touch floor every week, one of the few running backs that's floating around a 50% uh, touch share in terms of total team touches. So because of that, we have Fournette ranked as a top-two running back value um, among running backs under $8,000 on both sites. The The Raiders early in the season, they looked like a run uh, – I'm sorry, a pass funnel defense, but after they started facing a little bit of competition – we found out they're just a bad defense all around. They now rank 29th in running back schedule adjusted points allowed, as well as 30th to uh, quarterback. So, yeah, you mentioned if Fournette's going to get in the end zone multiple times, it's going to be this week because one of the easiest ways for the running backs to find the end zone is to be coupled with an efficient passing game. And while Jacksonville isn't necessarily an efficient passing game, Oakland does allow some of the highest efficiency in the league. And if uh, Minshew can can move the ball consistently through the air, that's going to set up more goal line opportunities for Fournette. I mean, it's getting to the point now where it's a little uncomfortable starting him, to tell you sure. the truth, just because, especially on FanDuel, just because you need him getting in end zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. fine that you're only playing 16 games, and we only got, what, three games left this season? Yep. So, I mean, you're just hoping he turns it around at this point as opposed to – I mean, everything points to he should be getting more touchdowns, but it just hadn't happened. So Yeah, it, it just comes down to lineup construction. It's one of those things where mm-hmm. if you're going to jam Christian McCaffrey, you're not going to be able to afford Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook. Um, so are you going to be willing to go – all the way down to Patrick Laird. Are you going to take a risk on an injured Josh Jacobs? Are you going to take a risk on an Aaron Jones, who obviously has a very low floor at this point, um, just because of the workload? So it's 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 really just a straight workload versus um, a, a salary thing at this point, and and he just kind of makes things work as at least in my early builds. 
All right, so let's move on to wide receiver now. And you've got DeAndre Hopkins, 8,600 FanDuel, 8,000 DraftKings, visiting Tennessee. And I see in the notes here you're talking about Nook versus Chris Godwin, how mm -hmm. Godwin might be double teamed, right? And then there's yeah. Jameis's health. Um, so I think you're just going to have to go down to the wire for this one, right? Because I'm not worried about Godwin being double teamed because I feel like he's double teamed every single game. Mm -hmm. um, well, he's not because sometimes there's evidence. Winston was saying he's double teamed every game. But I think more than anything else, just the quarterback situation. So uh, which way are you leaning with Godwin and Hopkins? Yeah, I wanted to bring this up specifically because I, I do think a lot of people will see Evans is out. Godwin is the new number one automatically jam Godwin in. Um, he's priced basically the same as DeAndre Hopkins, who um, I, I think is probably the best option on this slate if we if we just look at it from a pure um, projection standpoint, just because of the way we expect that game to play out. Both defenses really struggling on both sides, a really high scoring game. DeAndre Hopkins uh, near the top of the league, trailing only Michael Thomas, I believe, in target share. So we've seen it like time and time again, just because Evans is out doesn't mean Godwin all of a sudden becomes a 30% target share guy. That's just not the way it works. He has been at times throughout the season and he is the clear. I mean, I guess he's fallen off. He, it was one, a one B for a while, but he's been pretty clear. The number two uh, for, for maybe five or six weeks now, but we just know that Deandre Hopkins is the established clear number one in a very good situation. Godwin uh, is, could see more attention from the defense. Like you said, I don't, necessarily take that as a huge concern like even against the best receivers teams aren't double teaming at as high of a rate as people think and, and Godwin's not a player that's going to command that much of a double team but even if Jameis plays he's playing with what is it a, is it a, a sprained or a fractured thumb no, he's got a fracture um, in his hand yeah man. a fracture in his hand they, he was he was practicing without a football today so I would take that for whatever it's worth and then if he's out that's obviously um, a really big concern for Godwin so I just wanted to mention it specifically because I think people will see those two priced almost the same. Godwin slightly cheaper, and 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 just go with that um, that easy narrative of, of Evans is out. Godwin's is, is a great play, but uh, again, Hopkins. Uh, not only is is he the main guy, but one thing that that might go a little bit overlooked is Will Fuller is likely to be out again, and and something else that the uh, Texans do that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't is the Texans move all of their receivers around the formation, uh, assuming it's best way to take um, take advantage of specific matchups. Whereas Tampa Bay, they pretty much just keep their wide receivers stationary, and especially Godwin, who's normally a slot guy. So with Fuller out, we can see Hopkins moving to take advantage of of the worst Tennessee corner. And there's a really big split um, in the few games that we've seen this year with Fuller compared to without Fuller. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins averaging 12.3 targets per game in four games without Fuller, uh, 9.3 targets with Fuller active. So almost three more targets per game, uh, which is huge. Will Fuller. Hi-yi-yi-yi-yi. We still don't know. We're sitting here taping this Wednesday night. We still don't know about Will Fuller. D.D. Westbrook. So D.D.'s, you know, he's going to be questionable. He's probably going to play. D.J. Mm -hmm. Shark is done. He's not playing this week in all likelihood. 6,000 FanDuel, 4,600 DraftKings, a little salary relief there. I guess he's kind of a mid-tier option, right, on FanDuel at this point. But um, this is a guy, D.D. Westbrook, that's in a pretty good position. Yeah, and the the difference here with uh, with Shark being out and, and looking to Westbrook compared to Godwin being out with Evans is um, that you're not paying that premium price for Godwin. So even even though Westbrook's just been right around 19, 20% target share for the whole season, even if that jumps up by only one or two targets, uh, that's a, a really big difference for somebody priced down at $6,000 or $4,600 compared to a wide receiver who's already priced like an elite wide receiver. If he only gets one or two more targets, that might not be that huge of a difference. Uh, and, and with Westbrook, you're getting a, um, a phenomenal matchup against Oakland. Oakland, like I mentioned, uh, they've been one of the worst secondaries, one of the worst overall defenses in the league. They, they have improved. We, we use a rolling 10-week schedule for our adjusted schedule metric at uh, 4 for 4 they, they have improved to 14th in schedule-adjusted points to wide receivers, but they still rank in bottom 10 in fantasy points per game to wide receivers specifically lined up in the slot. That's where 86% of D.D. Westbrook's routes come from. So, uh, again, kind of like I mentioned with Fournette, I expect Jacksonville to be able to move the ball efficiently 
against the Raiders. If the Raiders uh, do end up having a game script like the point spread, point spread suggests, Raiders favored by six and a half, that obviously would uh, end up being a, a little more pass-heavy game script for Westbrook and the Jaguars as a whole. Hopefully more targets for Westbrook um, uh, down the stretch. All right, again, this guy, I threw my dummy lineup, but I – I want you to sell me on him a little bit more. Darius Slayton, 6,300 FanDuel, 4,700 DraftKings. Now, the the thing that stands out here is he's going up against Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, thing, the thing, though, is that he's kind of – he's a boomer bust guy, isn't he? Like, yeah. he needs to catch two bombs or at least one bomb and take it to the house to, to pay off his salary. So I'm a little bit concerned about throwing Slayton in there. Um, I thought Eli from second half on of Monday night football was more the Eli that we're going to get. He kind of mm-hmm. went out and played good the first half. I'm concerned about anybody from this giants offense. So tell me a little bit more about why you like Darius Slayton. I, I just like him from looking at the matchup, but why would he be a guy that can go out and have a solid floor? I love the ceiling, but the floor. Uh, I mean, he, like you said, he, he is a little bit of, of a boomer bus guy just because the the kind of targets he's getting. But you also can't deny the fact that he's he's third in target share of the last month, uh, 29.6% of the Giants targets over the last month. He saw 33% target share with Eli taking over as the starter last week. Uh, that was with Golden Tate um, active, but also that was with no Evan Ingram. Looks like Evan Ingram might be back, so that throws a wrench kind of into uh, into the entire target share. But uh, like you said, I want cheap exposure to this Miami secondary that ranks 31st in schedule just to points allowed to wide receivers. I want some exposure to Miami in general. And just from a lineup building perspective, if you are going to go with these running backs, um, even if you do end up like going down to uh, a Chris Carson or Fournette and then not even Christian McCaffrey, but one of those other running backs that I mentioned, you're still spending uh, close to like twenty three, twenty four thousand uh, dollars on just on your three running back positions. So that's a huge percentage of your salary. And if you do that, you're going to need to pay down. Uh, for some pass catchers so if i'm going to pay down for pass catchers across the board it's going to be guys that are relatively high variance you just aren't going uh, to find guys in these price ranges that are going to give you a necessarily safe floor but from a lineup building perspective you're giving yourself overall the highest floor because you're paying up for these high volume predictable running backs where you're you're going to have high variance wide receivers just the way um, lineups are shaking out or at least my early builds are shaking out this week that's the way it looks like it's going to happen so if I do have to pay down I want guys that have been seen increased target share in good matchups uh, you can make the case if for uh, Shepard on Fandle over Slayton because uh, his targets are going to be a little more stable in terms of the types of targets he gets and he is cheaper on Fandle but on DraftKings Slayton all the way down at $4,700, you just aren't going to find, even if his target share drops to like 23% this week, you're just not going to find that kind of target share at that price very often. All right, so we got that going on, and uh, we'll move to tight end now. So I know you got the high price guy with Ertz. Can we talk about Tyler Higby first? Yeah. So Higby's 5,700 FanDuel, 3,900 um, on DraftKings, facing Dallas, back-to-back 100-yard games. Now, Everett's, I think they're going to list Everett questionable. Mm-hmm. That's a concern for me. If, for sure. if Everett's not playing, obviously Higby's the way to go. But did you think about a pivot there besides for, for Higby at this point, if you're not going to go with him, if he's not going to play? Like, we also have the Greg Olson situation with Ian Thomas. Mm-hmm. I'd love to play Ian Thomas again, but Greg Olson could be coming back. That's a bit. So two of my favorite plays right there are guys that, you know, might not even be playing this week. So, um Tyler Higby, I think, stands out. I'm glad you brought him up. The problem is we don't know if he's going to play or not. So is there somebody farther down the line? I mean, Hollister has a bad matchup this week. Um, Ian Thomas was my guy. I don't know if you can go Gasecki. He has a tough matchup this week. I think it's going to be hard to pay down if Higby isn't in there. Uh, yeah, so I, mean, her? I, I, I think, like you said, Higby, um, if he's active, he's, he's like the obvious pay down option. I actually – don't mind Hollister's um, tough matchup this week just because uh, Seattle, they are in a position where they're 
Um, they're favored by six points. They have an implied point total over 27. Um, and when you're paying down, you're kind of just looking for that touchdown upside. Jacob Hoster has seen 20% of Seattle's targets over the last uh, month. Obviously, Tyler Lockett uh, was he might as well have been active last week. Uh, last week when he had the flu, um, it was pretty obvious that he was well under. 100%, which obviously is going to, to get Hollister more targets. But in addition to Hollister seeing a decent target share, um, he's he's up near the top with Tyler Higby in terms of red zone, red zone targets over the last month. Uh, Hollister's top 10. Higby is is number one in red zone targets over the last month. So there there's that scoring upside there against Carolina. Um, the 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 Fantasy points allowed to the position tight end is is probably the one that I I put the least weight in, especially oh. in a spot where you're getting a uh, a tight end that's seen decent volume. And then if you're really just looking for for touchdown upside, and this is usually works a little bit better on Fanduel because it, you can overcome touchdowns with volume on DraftKings. But I don't mind throwing a dart at Jonu Smith just because that game could be a potential shootout. And again, if if those teams are moving the ball efficiently, uh, you really just need him to catch a couple balls and a touchdown, and he's well above value. Oh, Jonu Smith action there. All right, so Higby's there. We want Higby if, if Everett's out. Yes. We just want him. It's it's too good. Zach Ertz, for a month now, has been going ballistic. Mm-hmm. 6,700 FanDuel, 6,000 on DraftKings. We don't care about Washington. They're complete garbage. They haven't been able to guard a tight end in like 20 years. So, <laughs> and, and I'm serious. This isn't even a joke. So um, talk about Ertz, and then I want to get your take on Goddard, too, because it's kind of the same price point as Higby on FanDuel, but Ertz is obviously, if you're going to pay up, the, what is it, Kelsey and Kittle are ahead of them, but Ertz, Ertz could have a bigger game than both of them very easily this week. Yeah, he you're you're getting him at a discount compared to the the other top two guys, Kittle and and Kelsey. Um, Philly is favored by four and a half. Again, that's a good situation. We want our tight ends to be in a positive game script. Ertz has eleven plus targets in four of his uh, four of his last five games. He's seen work near the red zone. Um, they're they're still again we're we're back to a situation we talked a couple weeks ago. I was a little worried about Goddard because um, Alshon was back and I didn't think they would be running as many two tight end sets. Well, they don't have any receivers left. So they're back to those two tight end sets. You can definitely make the case for Goddard uh, at least six targets in every single game since their week 10 bye week. He actually didn't even up being that much uh, impacted by Jeffrey's return. Like I thought he would still saw um, eight targets in that game. So he's a fine play given his uh, lower price point. I'm, I'm not super excited about paying for, a tight end too, but if you're in a situation where you built a Higby lineup last minute, uh, Higby news uh, comes out that that Everett's um, uh, playing, and you're all of a sudden not comfortable with that. It, it is a perfect pivot on Fanduel, and the price point is uh, pretty close on DK. God, it's only 400 more, so uh, I, I wouldn't be totally uncomfortable just making that last minute pivot again if the news comes out like 30 minutes before kickoff and you just need to switch things up real quick and don't want to change your whole lineup. Just go Goddard. Yeah. Just get Goddard in there. I think yeah, that's Yeah, I, I kind of like that too. Um, so I like, you know, Kyler Murray's terrific. I'm going to ask you about, about Patrick Laird because you changed your Twitter handle. Can we stop it with the Patrick Laird already? The okay, the Laird was uh actually like a week the the Laird Twitter handle thing was like the week that the hype was kind of starting where it was kind of tongue in cheek. I had a um uh Scott Fishbowl bet with TJ Hawkins, who is another fantasy writer. Uh we were in the same division that whoever uh finished with a better record, we got to pick the other one's Twitter handle. Mm. So he picked that for me when we were kind of making the, the Laird joke. And then Laird had a good game and then people started thinking I was serious. And he was like, hey, you could change your Twitter handle handle to something that uh people don't think is funny. He was trying to hate on me. I was like, no man, you pick this. You have to live with it now. So uh for a couple more uh. weeks I'm living with the Laird uh, uh but in all seriousness, like I mentioned Laird I mean, he did see um, he he is over 70 percent touch share, over 70 percent snap share over the last two weeks, saw 19 carries last week. Uh, I mean, in a week where like like I mentioned, you're you're going to be paying down for 
wide receivers if you go with like the the most common lineup build this week in cash games with wide receivers that don't really have much of a floor uh patrick laird you can make the argument that you could pay down for him to have some kind of floor against the giants but it's 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 definitely not what i'm going to do in cash games but it's an option that i did write up this week i'm going to tell you right now that there's a 60 percent chance that i start him in dk cash <laughs> now I'm, I'm laughing about this i was doing the pod the most accurate pod with greg smith we were talking about laird and i'm just pooing on him and then i look at the number i'm going oh my god let me keep the holy moly this guy is like a legit running back too yeah and that's it's, season long stuff but I'm it's fine about, yeah i mean listen Devonte parker's in concussion uh protocol Al, wilson is there who is the other there's a third receiver that um, is also oh, is also injured. They got three wide receivers Preston, that might not Preston play. Preston went to IR, yeah. What's that? Um, Preston Williams went to IR a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, it's not even Williams. It's somebody yeah. else. So think about this. Like, what are the options going to be for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Right. It's either run or throw it out of the backfield. Oh, Alan Hearns. That's the other oh, one. Oh, right, right. So now you got no Parker, no Wilson, no Hearns. Now, I'm not saying that the three of them aren't going to play. Two of them might play. All three might play. But if two of those three guys are out, or even one of those three guys are out, then I think Laird sees enough volume in PPR where he is a running back, too. I can't believe I just suckered you into this to talk five minutes about Patrick Laird because he is a running joke, but he's also like a legitimate option. Yeah, and it goes back to the concept that we've hammered so many times on this podcast. And I, people, I, I think what happens, and I'm definitely guilty of this for sure, people build a lineup, whether it be cash games for GPPs, and you want every roster slot to look kind of sexy, right? You mm-hmm. want a name that feels like you could pop. But the fact of the matter is, and again, we've said this so many times before, that one cheap guy that's going to get you just like a decent number, if it like on DK, 14 points isn't crazy. But if he gets you up to two studs that can get you 35 points, that's way more important than three mediocre guys mid-range that are just going to get you that same like 12 or 14 points each it and the name's not going to look as good but the fact of the matter is getting that extra stud in your lineup because of a play like Laird, that's really how you build winning uh dfs lineups just to completely take you off the rails here on the other side of that game saquon like he's burned everybody a million times this year but he's got oh, miami he's, right he's a fantastic gpp play i think he'll actually um he he's one of the players so this is actually a a really interesting note just about this slate across the board is that i think this is gonna be the the way i built projections this morning wednesday morning is when i I build ownership projections for the first time of the week um and they're they're mostly automated but I, i usually don't have to adjust too much but every once in a while we'll just have some crazy uh high chalk play i don't think we're gonna have any player like really above maybe i think 25 percent might be the highest on player in like the millionaire this week and that's just really? unheard of we i i really do think that's how it may, might shake out so really you're not gonna have to like if you like a saquon i don't think you're gonna have to go crazy to be overweight on anybody just because i think ownership's gonna be really flat across all positions this week i don't think there's anybody that is insanely clear chalk like maybe deandre hopkins Mm -hmm. and aj browns and maybe christian mccaffrey but even them just the way pricing works out the way people are going to be trying to build their lineups quarterbacks are never going to be over like 15 or 16 percent owned um i'd I'd be really surprised to see anybody with crazy high ownership this week i think if jacobs is out and deandre washington is in yes that's the only guy that gets gets up there yes but i'm with you man There's so many options this week. Like, do I have to jam McCaffrey in or do I think Barkley can do it? Like, how crazy would it have to be for you to jam Barkley into cash? Um, I'm not doing that ever. It's scary. But he's a great tournament play this week. But he's going up against Miami. It's like, I don't know. I'm with you, man. I'm I'm very scared of putting Saquon in my cash. All right, let's uh, move on to defense now. Eagles, 4,900. FanDuel, 3,400. DraftKings taking on... Haskins and the Redskins if you're paying up this is your guy yeah I mean you you can pay all the way up um for the Patriots but I've actually like paying for defense against Andy Dalton has never been that great just because Andy Dalton is not a risk taker so even if he does take a couple sacks um and is behind a bad line he he just doesn't throw that many interceptions because he he's just 
Andy Dalton. Um, so, yeah, if I am paying up, I'm paying up for the Eagles. 4900 on FanDuel, you're only getting a slight discount compared to the Patriots. 3400 on DraftKings, you're getting a, a decent discount. And it's just been, I mean, week in and week out on this podcast, target the Redskins. Uh, the Eagles are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Washington, 26 when we adjust for strength of schedule uh, in terms of fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses. Bottom three in adjusted sack rate allowed is Washington. Haskins, he's now only the second-highest interception rate. Jameis Winston took over that crown last week. Mm. All right, if you're not going with the Eagles there, and again, you can't pay up for the for the Patriots. That'll probably be nasty, too. They'll put up a nice number. But the Lions against Tampa Bay. You know, I'd actually feel worse about the Lions if Ryan Griffin starts. Yeah. I don't think he's going to turn it over as much as Jameis. Didn't we talk about this last week where it's like this guy, Jameis, would just be an elite play every single week if he didn't, you know, turn the ball over four times a game and kind of kill his ceiling a little bit. But um, if Jameis is in there, I'm totally going Lions. If Griffin's in there, I'm telling you right now, I'm not so sure I will. Oh, yeah, I will, because there's no Mike Evans. There's no Mike Evans, uh, so that's obviously really going to limit what, what the Buccaneers can do on offense. They're not a team that that is or can run the ball um, very well. The Lions are, are not a good defense by any means. Um, you're obviously still, if you're if you're on Godwin, I'm fine playing Godwin. The, the point of uh, a team like the Lions, especially on DraftKings where they're only 2,300, they can give up 30 points against the Buccaneers and still score 15 fantasy points just because of the way uh, Tampa, they throw so much, they throw so deep, they turn the ball over. Uh, I mean, one of the, the reasons, yeah, Jameis makes some really bad decisions and some really awful throws, but he pushes the ball downfield as much as anybody in the league. That leads to just longer dropbacks, more sack opportunities, and and just less accurate throws. Um, when you combine that with the bad decisions, you're throwing it farther downfield. It's more time for the defense to make those turnovers, and that's why Jameis um, probably going to lead lead the league in interceptions this year. So, uh, <laughs> did I yeah, tell you I though mean, about the touchdowns too? I think I saw the tweet. Was it was it the, he's going to lead the league in both or something? All right. So this is I didn't know that Lamar Jackson led the NFL in. Um, in uh, touchdown passes mm-hmm. by the way, 28 Jameis Winston. And by the way, touchdown passes seem to be down this year then, because we used to have guys up in the forties, but um, Winston has 26. So he's two off the pace. He's got 23 interceptions. So he's basically locked up the interception crown. He gets a trophy for that because <laughs> he's seven ahead of Baker Mayfield, but this guy could literally lead both categories in that. It's fascinating. Yeah. And that's good for fantasy, though. I mean, it is because there's at least a floor when you're throwing for 375 yards and two, two free touchdowns a game. Yeah, it's good for fantasy on both sides because mm-hmm. uh, you you can uh, you can get real cute and, and play Jameis or you can just decide to play the defense and both of them have tournament winning upside. Yep. It's as simple as that. Right. No big deal. All right. Um, so we move on to our our ad read here. Sharp Angle Sports the exclusive home for NFL selections from James Salinas. He's the most successful super contest winner of all time. He won the Westgate super contest in 2015. He followed that up with third place. And then in 2018, he finished 26th. And in the last four years, he picked 85 games a year. He's racked up a 63.3% record against the spread. It's remarkable. And there's only one place to get James Salinas's NFL against the spread and over under selections every week. That is sharpanglesports.com. Visit the site today. TJ, what do we got for our world-famous game theory segment this week? Uh, I want to talk about building unique lineups. And we've obviously talked about uh, contrarian plays on this podcast, how to uh, find low-owned plays, how to build different types of stacks. Um, And I've written about this, but I don't think I've ever really talked about it uh, specifically on the podcast and and that's just different ways to to build unique lineups um from a, a few different points of view outside of just specific players and the reason i wanted to talk about that this week was week 14 we saw the lowest average ownership for the DraftKings millionaire winner we saw the second lowest average ownership for the FanDuel sunday million winner all year uh and on sunday night monday morning there was um there was a lot of people that weren't happy with the way the lineups were built that one, like kind of just like the, uh, the classic, like poker take, like the fish won this week. And, and, 
uh, they suck. They got lucky. What? But that that's just a that's a, a short sighted way. Even if that's true, um, you know, shout out to the winners. Props to you guys. I'm not one of those people that are saying that. That, that was just the the rhetoric on on Twitter this week, and that's just a, a bad way to to reflect on the week because you're you're taking away a chance to learn something or see something that you might not have have done. And the whole point about GPPs is to be building a portfolio where you're going to be benefiting when things don't go to plan. Now we have it kind of ingrained in our brains that that a lot of times that has to do with just like a player not going off as we expect or a team not going like we expect. But that also has to do with like traditional lineup construction. And if everybody is doing the same thing, whether it be a, a game stack or uh, having a certain number of chalky players in your lineup, then it makes sense to try to do something a little different. Now, I'm not saying every single winner is consciously making these decisions. A lot of them probably aren't, but I'm sure some of them are. And once these kind of things happen, it's an opportunity for us to maybe reflect. And we still have seven weeks left in the DFS season why not try to take advantage of these things and implement them into our process if we haven't been all year, if we've been, especially this time of year, like this is when we can really get stuck in a rut and just kind of go through the motions and you've been building lineups the same way all year and you have these players you like and you jam them in. If you're not thinking about these roster construction techniques, um, then you, you might be losing out on some possible equity. All right, so let's talk about these uh, unique lineup builds so the lowest average ownership of the millionaire i don't again i don't understand why people sweat this stuff and get so upset about it it doesn't make sense to me tj it's like you're not the the sharps aren't always going to win this thing sometimes guys without little symbols next to them are going to win and i actually think that's good because it gives people that are out of the industry at least they think that they have a shot and every single week of being better than you i like that it's it's a really good thing. It's the classic poker analogy. Like, um, if if everybody is is playing perfect across the board, and only the people that are are slightly better, if if the average person is very very good, and only the perfect players are winning, like then the edge starts to go to to disappear. You want in poker, you want people to be chasing their flush draws with bad odds. And when they hit, they get rewarded. Those rewards stick, and that's what keep those, keeps those players coming back to the game. If it if we just approach uh, a perfect, like optimal game, then all of a sudden we just become chess or back game, and all the money dries up, and, and nobody is going to want to play anymore. Um, so I mean that this is kind of a tangent, but that's why I think it's it's a little bit funny, even just from. A, a redraft perspective when people complain about scoring or complain about uh, the fantasy points not perfectly reflecting uh, real football. It's like, well, we don't want it to be perfectly efficient or else all, only the good players are going to win and then all the money has gone. Um, but but that's that's a tangent. Um, that's not a tangent. It's, <laughs> it's a legit – I think it's just a legit opinion. Mm-hmm. And, again, for anybody that's upset that people without symbols next to the names, I mean, maybe it is somebody that's playing with multiple – uh, accounts that would really suck if that was the case and hopefully that person will get busted but um you know ultimately you need people to win that aren't just the sharps i i think that there is there's already it's kind of a stigma against this where you know most people are just going to lose and they're not going to do it and you know you're not going to get lucky and you're just wasting your money and i think that's yeah. something that the industry has to overcome yeah, and um, and again, it's it's I I want to like reiterate that I I think people forget that a lot of people in the industry that you see on Twitter they're doing the exact same thing that you and I are doing, going through these trends and and looking at them. And yes, um, a per, a certain percentage amount of time, maybe overwhelming percentage amount of the time, uh, these specific trends and strategies are going to win out. Um, but when, again, when everybody is doing the same thing, it, it's it's good to get away from the status quo. And who's to say that someone hasn't been sitting back studying these trends, trying to figure out how to do something different? And I mean, in every industry, in every game, somebody's going to pop out of nowhere and all of a sudden be good. Who's to say that these guys that all of a sudden won this week 
aren't seeing some huge big inefficiency um, in the market. So like basically just just getting away from from what the status quo is, how you win GPPs. And one thing that has happened this year that isn't always the case is we've just been seeing the chalk hitting very hard this year. And and even on this podcast, we've talked about uh, you don't have to be contrarian at every single spot. Um, you want heavy correlation in your lineup. But again, if everybody is doing that, then maybe something that we should be thinking about is instead of only doing something like we're taking our core players that are probably chalk, sprinkling low on dart throws in and mixing them up like a small core. That's that's my belief. That's an optimal way to play tournaments. Um, there's a lot of people that have won a lot more and that are smarter than me that probably agree with that to some extent. But if that's the only thing that you're doing and we're all kind of doing that, then you're kind of putting yourself at a disadvantage. So you can mix it up. Let's say that you do think that it's optimal to have a very small core and maybe it's 15 or 20 players and you only have four or five dart throws. Maybe 80 of your lineups, you go with that heavy core and a few dart throws, but that's not always going to work because some of those dart throws might sink your a chalk team and we've seen it multiple times this year sometimes a team that is pretty much 100% chalk can take out a tournament a tournament so maybe 15 out of your 100 lineups is players that are almost all chalk or just not like 1% dart throws and then maybe five out of your 100 lineups you do something like we saw in DraftKings this week where you put a lot of those low on plays together and while it isn't going to um, necessarily work that off or m- might not be the most optimal way to build a lineup when all of your dart throws hit like we saw in DraftKings this week, you're going to be very, very unique by a, a really big margin and that does not have to be your dominant strategy. So not only did this guy in the DraftKings tournament this week win with the lowest average ownership we saw this year, he had four skill players under 10%, wow. six in total, including the quarterback and the defense. And he had very little correlation besides um, his, his Jimmy Garoppolo, Emmanuel Sanders stack. So I think people see that and they're like, you can never land on all of those plays together, but he won by a 12 point margin in a tournament with hundreds of thousands of people. That's a humongous margin. So even if you hate it, you cannot tell me that in your player core, if you're, if you're max entering every week that you don't have five or six players that are like five to seven percent on maybe one or two that are two percent so even if it's only one year lineups if you put all of them together that's a very unique lineup again it doesn't have to be your dominant strategy it might only be one percent of your lineups but when they all hit you're going to be the most unique by a big margin that's what we saw this week all right, so I completely got you off track here. I think it's like the third time the show already. So I no, that's that. that's actually exactly where I wanted to go. So with it. the takeaway, right? Is that yeah, where we're going? Yeah, that now? was my that was my first one. Yeah. Was that your uh, takeaway? Yeah. yeah okay. That my, good. That was my first um, one. And we, we, you just taught me something. The reason why I'm having a good season is because the chalk is hitting. Yeah. You know, for sure. I'm, I play a lot of chalk. You know, I try to differentiate myself at maybe two positions uh, when it comes to tournaments. And I st- and like I said, I still think that that's probably the most optimal way to play, but it doesn't, you, you can't just build a lineup one way and, and just do that forever and close your eyes and, and think that's the only way it's going to work. If you're not thinking outside the box, it's going to be very hard to be different. All right. Where else are we going here? Understanding uh, the lineup builds and how chalk yeah. can impact it. Yeah. So it's not only like when we think about lineup builds, we, we think about things like average ownership. We think about things like how many, how much we're spending each position. That's very important, but also, like, how is chalk going to impact what lineups might look like uh, the last week? And again, I'm going to keep using this DraftKings lineup as an example, because even if this player wasn't necessarily thinking about this specifically, uh, taking a different approach, even if it's just fading one player, might lead to a unique lineup build throughout uh, with something like how you distribute your salary. So the example that I took this week from the millionaire uh, Bilal Powell was the highest owned player in the field by a pretty big margin. I think he was in about a third of millionaire lineups, but he was also extremely cheap. He was at $3,500 on DraftKings. So when you have a chalk player at a high demand position, that's extremely cheap. What's going to happen is you're going to end up with a lot of similar lineup builds, not necessarily the same players across the board, but if you have a $3,500 uh, running 
back and then it gets you up to Christian McCaffrey and then like lets you jam in another expensive quarterback. Everyone's lineup is kind of going to fall into a, a natural flow because once you do that, once you go high low, you can kind of only fit so many puzzle pieces uh, in into that uh, into that build. So what this lineup did, they faded Bilal Powell. They didn't have that stars and scrubs approach. And it just happened to be a bunch of low on guys. But this lineup ended up with um, which a bunch of uh, middle tier uh, players across the board. So he didn't spin up all the way to any position, but he also didn't spin down all the way to any position. And that isn't often how people think about value because like we talk about, oftentimes we're looking for the best value, usually at the lowest price. And a lot of times that's just going to lead to a stars and scrubs approach. But like we've seen this year, for example, going back to DraftKings, 10 of our 14 winners in the DraftKings Millionaire have had at least one running back over $7,000. 12 of the 14 FanDuel winners have had at least one running back over $7,500. So that's a very popular build. You want to pay up for running back. It makes sense. But if you're only doing that with all of your lineups, again, you're just kind of falling into the status quo. You're not giving yourself a chance to be different. So if everybody's building starting the scrubs, obviously we don't know exactly what everybody's going to do but we can get some hints from chalk players like Bilal Powell that people might end up with stars and scrubs. Maybe again, just build 5% of lineups with very balanced everybody in the, the five to six K range. And even if your players are like in the 10% own range, you might be the only one of the only few people that decided to stick to that price range across the board. You know, the other thing, and again, I'm going to get you completely off topic here, but, and it's not off topic, but, it's like at what point in time when you're just playing the low on guy, do you say, all right, he hits value, but I need more than just hitting value. Right. You know, I need the guy to go seven X or something like that. But yeah, I'm going to oh, pay down sure. that much. So I think a lot of people make that mistake too. It's like, all right, if he hits value here, if he hits three X or four X or whatever X you need, well, that's great. That's what I need. When really you might need that value to hit a bit more than that in order to take down the whole tournament. Absolutely. I mean, especially at, at something like a running back, um, if even if the running back's only $4,000, if he's in a situation where his team is a 10-point favorite, um, he's expected to get 20 to 25 touches, and it's a super run-heavy team that should score 28 or 30 points, I don't care if he's $4,000. If that guy gets you 13 or 14 uh, fantasy points, that's a disappointment. And you were really banking on a big day and probably building your lineup around the idea that he was one of your going to be one of your bigger scores. So um, those things definitely come into account. And, and that's why we, we talk about floor and ceiling of these players. And, and you're not just building around like guys that don't have the upside. It's really important. All right. So, um, Again, we've completely gotten off the script. So where are we? Please help me out here. Um, just one other thing that I noticed. We're not going to be able to cover every way to be unique. But again, just not looking at, at low on players. Um, I've definitely brought this up a couple of times uh, on, on this podcast this year just because it's really caught my eye. But something that moving over to FanDuel, um, not only did he use a super low owned player in his flex uh but it was a wide receiver. And now that's the fifth time this year on FanDuel that uh, that we've seen a winning Sunday Million lineup use a wide receiver in the flex. So again, mm -hmm. it's, it's a way to think about being contrarian, not just by using contrarian players, but how what what is everybody doing? And, and I, I do think some people have finally uh, caught wind of this, but for the first seven or eight weeks of the season, we saw almost exclusively running backs uh, winning in the flex. Almost every tournament last year, Sunday Million last year, at 15 out of 17, we saw a running back in the winning lineup in the flex. So and we talked about this a lot throughout the year. It seemed like the optimal approach was to play a running back in the flex. But if you, what, what I'm guessing happened is getting to the middle of this year, if you started looking at the uh, the distribution of positions in the flex, and, and it's harder to get access to this on FanDuel because you can't export the CSV like you can on DraftKings. But my guess is something like 
80 or maybe even 90% of lineups were putting running back in the flex where last year when flex was new, people weren't 100% sure if that was uh, optimal. But again, now that everybody is doing it or everybody was doing it, there's probably some credence to using wide receiver in the flex. So again, just another way to think about what the current status quo is and how to get away from it. Never hit the big one. Um, I will say this. I wonder if or when we're going to have a tight end in the flex. Uh, we had like one a, last year. It did happen last year. Yeah, I think we had one on we had one on FanDuel last year, and I think we had one on DraftKings two years ago. Um, it's just I, I for that specifically. I mean, you just aren't going to. It, it's it's just rarely going to happen where you're going to get the type of volume or touchdown upside that it's actually going to work. Like, I mean, probably the the best chance ever for it was like in the Jimmy Graham Gronk days before we, most people were even playing DFS. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I, there's probably situations for it where you've got some, some higher tier guys. I, I've definitely built one or two qualifier lineups. Obviously it didn't work that way this year. Um, but again, like it goes back to our, our original point. Like if you think it's suboptimal to have five dart throws in one lineup but it is a way to be unique maybe you only use it one percent of the time if you think it's suboptimal to have a tight end in your flex but there are spots you like it maybe only use it one percent of the time the point of a gpp is when things that happen that we aren't accustomed to happen then you separate yourself from the field and you only need it happen to once happen once for some people to make their dfs not only season maybe their dfs career uh, so the, the way that tournaments are weighted, um, when those things do happen unexpectedly, uh, that that's very beneficial to us. And that goes back to the talks of early season theory, where we talked about a barbell approach where 90% of our approach is just a, a very, uh, steady, um, proven to win strategy, but a very small percentage of our strategy, whether it be how we build our lineups, what player we use in flex, how we distribute our salary uh, is something that's very suboptimal, but when it works, it lets us jump the field. That's what we care about the most. All right. So give me some examples here. Yeah. Just, can just I just give my example from last week? Yeah. Yeah. Gordon sure. Eckler, put them both in the same lineup. Both. Yeah. Or, or like we talked about three weeks ago, we talked about it as a strategy on the pod, two running backs from the same game. Uh, we've only seen it a couple times in winning lineups, but um, it, it, it can happen. So just a recap of, of everything we just talked about, like a, a way that you can be unique without just looking for contrarian plays is you can mix up your builds in terms of how many contrarian players you have in a lineup, how many chalk players you ha- have in a lineup. Um, you can mix up how you structure your salary. If, again, uh, the most common scenario, like a balanced lineup or a stars and scrub lineup. If, if chalk is pointing really heavily towards one of those specific builds, then it might make sense to have at least some of the opposite uh, type builds and then positional variants. Uh, this is related to the flex. This is mostly going to be on FanDuel. I, th- I think to trend on, on DraftKings is pretty much always going to be 50, 50 just because it's full PPR. But if, if people again, just go overwhelmingly running back for whatever reason, it, it makes sense to have a different position or even just sprinkling a couple tight ends into your flex again, maybe if it's just 1%, but how can you vary up um, uh, positions or salary? So just some things to think about. Uh, there's other ways to be unique in, in DFS besides just looking for unique players. And I just thought it was very important to talk about this week because I was surprised to see some of the smarter people in the industry complaining about a winner. Yeah. It drives me nuts. It's right. Twitter itself is just a horrible place. <laughs> it's just the worst thoughts that people have and then they express them. And then there's DFS Twitter where if you're not in this little circle of trust here, everybody that wins sucks. Sure. And it drives me nuts. It absolutely, I, I mean, I, and I got friends that do it all the time and I'm going, what are you guys doing? Why are you bothering with this? This is why I'm logging off. Or I'll go, you know, look at Lisa Ann's portfolio or something. I don't, I don't know. I'm just not going to sit there and and deal with it. So if uh, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to berate the bad player no. at the poker table. You want to stay all night. Yeah, come on back, man. Come on back. Give that million dollars back. Come on, <laughs> spend it. Yeah. Uh, sign up now. Code DFS MVP. Get twenty five percent off DFS sub only, only. Uh, rate review t-shirt giveaway get a five-star review automatically entered to win tj i'm gonna go listen to amelie to take us out
Yeah, next that is the last week uh, to get your five star reviews in for a chance to win a prize. So make sure you get that done. Uh, Holden, are you going through the playoffs with um, with fantasy first? I don't think so. I don't okay. know if I don't think there's enough um, people that play it. At least two more weeks. So def, I'm going to go 15, 16, 17. Yeah, through through week 17 because trust me, there's tons of jabronis playing championships in week 17. It's yep. the worst. Um, so next week will be our last week of regularly regularly scheduled programming. Uh, week 16 will come out as usual. Week 17 is Christmas, so everything will be pushed back to Friday mm. at 4 for 4, content and um, and the podcast. And then uh, the following week is uh, is playoffs. So we go, th- go through championship week. Uh, we, we do kind of dial back the content. At 4 for 4, basically what we'll be doing, we'll continue to have projections, continue to have all the tools available, um, but we'll just be going down to game-by-game breakdown since there's only four games per week. So there will only be a breakdown uh, for for each website, one per each website. So we'll have a full breakdown, one article per website, FanDuel, DraftKings, and Yahoo. Um, and then we'll continue to do our wide receiver cornerback matchups. Everything else will be done week 17. Uh, next week is the last week for TJ's Take, where I review DraftKings and FanDuel winners because um, after week 17, we don't have any more uh, millionaires to review. So um, yeah, we're going strong through through championship week, but just wanted to give all the loyal four for four subs a heads up on on the uh, kind of hectic um, holiday New Year's playoff schedule. And if you uh, if you want to continue to follow our um, our nice not berating twitters and not complaining <laughs> twitters. Oh, I complain. Can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I complain mostly about uh, my wife. Anyways, uh, keep going. Holden at Holden Radio, <laughs> myself at TJ Hernandez, and of course, four for four at four for four football. We will talk to you guys next week. I'm rapping like Big J and Tupac, Andre 3000. What is Erica Badu at? Who da? Who da said it on beat Lil Wayne? My name ain't Big, but I keep that flame. Man. Who da wanna do that? Boy, you knew that you that swallow. And I be this shit. Now you got loose bowels. I don't owe you like two vowels, but I would like for you to pay me by the